Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there's no offseason. We talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan, and I'm recording this on the first day of July 2017 in a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants, who it really doesn't look like they're going to be the 2017 world champion San Francisco Giants. And hey, I mentioned that my name is Paul Francis Sullivan, but in case you don't know it, and in case you are unfamiliar with the protocol here, please just call me Sully. Now, we are going to be talking about the National League for a chunk of this podcast. Uh, We're going to be talking about one of the truly surprising teams of the National League at this point. It is now the first day of July, as I mentioned before, so the whole notion of it's it's early, it's early. No, it's not April, it's not May, it's not June, it's July. And we have one month to go before the trade deadline. So that means if you're a team that's kind of sitting on the fence about whether or not you're a contender or not, well, this is the month where you got to figure that out. And with virtually every single team in the American League within you know one good week or, or one lousy week of contending or not contending, it's going to make for a very confusing trade deadline. Now, one of the teams that has been overwhelmingly surprising, at least from your pal Sully's point of view, has been the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, as I'm recording this, it's July 1st, some games are going on, the Red Sox are kicking the snot out of the Toronto Blue Jays. And by the way, everyone's wearing their 4th of July hats, because why not? But I fully approve the red hats for the Red Sox. But let's do if the playoffs started today. July 1, a month to go before the trade deadline. Teams have to look long and hard in the mirror and say, what the hell are we? If the playoffs started today, or right now, there would be a one-game playoff for the final wildcard spot in the American League between Minnesota and Tampa Bay. Raise your hands if you pick them. You're a liar. The Yankees would host the wildcard game with the winner of that matchup. The winner of that game would play the Houston Astros, while the Red Sox would play the Indians. Quite frankly, as much of a Red Sox fan as I am, and the fact that the Red Sox have a better record than the Indians as I record this, I'd still pick the Indians in that matchup. i still pick them to win the AL. Now, in the National League, there would be a wildcard game between the Diamondbacks and the Rockies, the eagerly anticipated rematch of the 2007 National League Championship Series. The winner of that game would play the Los Angeles Dodgers, while the Nationals would play the Brewers. Once again, I think if we throw away divisions, you take a look and see the three best teams, or at least two of the best teams in the National League, all play in the same division. Divisions are somewhat antiquated. I'm all for saying the top three teams are in the division series. Teams four and five have to play a wild card matchup. In this case, that would be between the Brewers and the Nationals. But that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, unless they have an absolutely cataclysmic collapse, and say that 15 times fast, the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be a playoff team this year. And we're in July, and they have the second best record in the National League, are one little winning streak away from taking over first place. And I'll be honest with you, they're for real. I do not see them as a fluke. I think Paul Goldschmidt's the National League MVP, and you're going to see this team well, fit together really nicely. I talked about them the other day when I did the, the team that should have won on the podcast I did a couple of days ago. I'm doing this more than weekly. I hope you're noticing that. 
But for today's show, I decided mm, I need to do something more than just me. I need to bring in a ringer. And the ringer was Jesse Friedman. Jesse Friedman was a guest on the Daily Podcast. He is the host of the Rattle AZ, which is a podcast about Arizona Diamondbacks baseball. He is a rabid Diamondbacks fan, writes a lot about them, and, well, is the most knowledgeable Diamondbacks fan that I know on the interwebs. So I got a hold of Jesse Friedman, and the two of us talked on the telephone. Yes, the sound quality isn't perfect. We were on the telephone. What do you want from me? So this is a little bit of my conversation with Jesse Friedman about the 2017 Diamondbacks and their playoff chances. All right, everyone, we are here with Jesse Friedman. Am I pronouncing everything correct? Is that how you want to be referred to? Or do I want to have to throw Yeah, that's, that sounds have pretty have good, Sully. Do I have to throw the L in as well? Uh, I, I, I'd say that's pretty solid. Yeah, you know, Jesse Friedman, yep. All right, now, Jesse Friedman, for those of you who don't know, and why wouldn't you, uh, is a diehard Arizona Diamondbacks fan. And tell, tell all the ways, all the different media that we can follow your, your fandom of the Arizona Diamondbacks, whether it's written or whether it's uh, on the, the podcast. Yeah, so probably the easiest way to get all of my content is on Twitter, which is at Jesse N. Friedman. That's my handle there. Uh, the Diamondbacks podcast that I host, you can find it at uh, the Rattle AZ. Those are probably the easiest ways to listen to some of my stuff. All right, man. This is no this is no fair weather fan here. Here, this is someone who has been talking Diamondbacks when it was not fashionable, as opposed to now when it's, <laughs> when it's super fashionable to talk Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey, um, I, I talked to you about this before, but I love this concept that the idea of a long suffering Arizona fan is an impossible concept for me to 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 wrap my arms around because. When you really stop and think about it, and I talked about this the other day when I did my Diamondbacks team that should have won, part of my series of the teams that should have won, uh, I pointed out the fact that there's not been a lot of downtime for D-backs fans, that they were in the playoffs their second year, had a world championship their fourth year, were back in the playoffs in 07, back in the playoffs in 2011, and it looks like they're going to be back in the playoffs in 2017, that the team, and with very different teams each time, the 2017 right. is a very different team than 2002, which is very different than 2011. And I think besides Goldschmidt, I don't know who's back from the 2011 team. You may you may throw some names out that I forgot were on the 2011 team. But they seem to be a model franchise in terms of how to deal with the fact that you don't have the deepest pockets. And yet, with you know, with a little bit of downtime here or there, put a good product on the field. I think the Diamondbacks have done a good job of, you know, avoiding the big droughts. I, I think that's maybe what you're getting at. They haven't, yeah. you know, they haven't had a stretch of, you know, a decade or two where they haven't made the playoffs. At the same time, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, that being a Diamondbacks fan has been, you know, all glamour necessarily. It has been six years since they've made a playoff appearance. They had a pretty catastrophic downfall last year when they lost 93 games. But I agree overall. I think the Diamondbacks have done a good job keeping the city of Phoenix at least uh, relatively interested. They haven't really put a, a consistently embarrassing product on the field uh, for you know years in a row at any stretch during their franchise. Uh, so I think fans around here in Phoenix are, are definitely looking forward to having the team in the playoffs once again. 
But it's true. I think I think uh, October baseball is something that has stayed relatively familiar here in Arizona, and, and the D-backs look to be heading that way again uh, six years after they were here back in 2011. Yeah, and think about some recent playoff teams, like you know, the Blue Jays were in it a few years ago, but they haven't been in since 92. The Pirates, or 93, sorry. Pirates made it a couple of years of the postseason, but they haven't been in since the Francisco Cabrera hit in 92. Uh, Baltimore made it in the postseason, but they haven't been there since 97. Kansas City, they've been waiting since 85. And, you know, you've had some of these teams, and the Brewers went from 82 to 2008. You have some of these franchises that have gone just, you've had a generation waiting for a division title. And, you know, Arizona, I think to their to their great credit, has, you know, put together teams and, you know, relatively quickly and with some really dynamic players. And I'm looking at this team now. Now, oh, before I get into that, okay, before I get into that, I do want to get your take on this because I did, I don't know how familiar you are with my series of the teams that should have won. But I, I've talked about the teams that had the perfect combination and would have been the perfect narrative for them to win. You know, like the, uh, you know, with the Red Sox in 1978 had like, all their most beloved players in the history of their team. You know, if that team had won, that would have been the greatest Red Sox team to ever win. Or a team like the 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 A's in 2002, the Moneyball year, that would have been the greatest story in the history of Oakland A's history. And I had trouble hmm. doing it for the Diamondbacks because I think the greatest team with the greatest narrative and the greatest collection of players won. In 2001, yep. it's like you don't have a fantasy, <laughs> but it was real. You had you had Gonzalez, you had Randy Johnson, you had Kurt Schilling, you had the great narrative of of winning the World Series, you know, one of the great World Series of all times. You had a really underrated series against St. Louis, which ended on a walk off hit um, by Womack, who also got the huge hit in the World Series that no one remembers. And so, and and a franchise that was only four years old got an all time franchise-defining moment, which some franchises are still looking for. And so I said it was interesting <laughs> to try to pick one since they already did it. And, you know, so I looked at 2011. I looked at 07. The thing in 07 I thought was interesting was the team was outscored. And so it would have been a yep. gigantic <laughs> middle finger to the people who look at um, run differential and say, well, what about the 07 Diamondbacks? They were outscored and won the World Series. Um but the team I picked was was 99 because hmm. if they had won that year, first of all, Buck Schultz would have been a world champion, which I think would be cool. But for all time, no matter what sport it is, not just baseball, but hockey, basketball, football, whatever, it would be the gold standard of, hey, in their second year, they won the World Series. So, you know, that would be like, can they, you know, the, the only way to beat that would be to win it in your first ever year. Um, so I thought that that for the legacy that people would bring up the Arizona Diamondbacks in an NFL game, in a, in a hockey game, you know, it's like, well, it's their second year, and the only team to ever win a championship in their second year was baseball with the Diamondbacks. Um, <laughs> that was the uh, the team that I picked that should have won. But uh, I was wondering what you thought in terms of emotionally what the 07 or the 2011 team, or uh, the other team I picked was 2002 because – in 2001, so many people rooted for the Yankees based on what happened on 
September 11th that it almost became patriotic to root against the Diamondbacks. That you would have had <laughs> a championship free of the the emotion and the patriotism and just would have been theirs. So I was just wondering, of those teams that have made the postseason, which one do you think would have been the most meaningful to Diamondback fans and like their legacy? I remember in 2011 when the Diamondbacks were making that run, they finished the year 94 and 68. They really started to capture the city of Phoenix towards the end of that season. And I remember every day that you would go to a Diamondbacks game, there would be at least one fan uh, making making a sign that made the connection with 2001. 2011, of course, was was a perfect decade after 2001. And right. so I remember going to games, there were always signs that people were holding up that, you know, had some sort of uh, allusion to, you know, 2001 and 2011 were going to repeat. It, that was a big storyline in 2011. Looking right. at the looking at the the product on the field, I don't think I really saw it with that team. They had a lot of performances that came out of nowhere. Ian Kennedy became an ace. He, right, right. he won 21 games that year, had an ERA of under three, and he never really did that for the rest of his career. He really just right. had that one magical season. Justin Upton uh, really broke out that year. That's still to this day probably the best season he's ever had, uh, yeah. even though he was only 20, probably 25 at the time, even if that. He's still a pretty young guy to this day. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think the D-backs at that time really had all of the pieces they needed. Not to say that team wasn't extremely fun to watch on a on a day-in, day-out basis. I remember one game, uh, it was a, I think it was about five days before the end of the season. It was in late September. The D-backs were down 6-1 to one at home against the Dodgers. It was the bottom of the ninth inning. There were two outs. The bases were empty. And the Diamondbacks went on to win that game 7-6. to six on a grand slam by Ryan Roberts, who's a guy that most people probably Oh, wow, heard of. Ryan Roberts, wow. I forgot, <laughs> yeah, I forgot he was even a person. Yeah, yeah, and, and pretty much everyone has forgotten about Ryan Roberts. And, you know, Chris Young was, was a big guy on that team, and, and Justin Upton, who's, you know, a, a good player, but not, not anything, you know, not a superstar uh, per se today. So I think it was a fun year. It was a fun team to watch. And I think a lot of people were kind of dreaming that, you know, maybe they would repeat a perfect decade after all the heroics that happened in 2001. But I think the best fit is probably the 99 team, just yeah. because they were in their second year. They won 100 games that year. They actually yeah, had a better did. record in 99. Yeah, they yeah. had a better record in 99 than they even did in 2001. And that would have been an incredible story. It's really, it's really just amazing what Jerry Colangelo meant to the city of Phoenix, getting this team off the ground, putting them in contention right away. I think that would have made for the best and probably the most realistic story, given the incredible product they had on the field. Yeah. So I was right. Yep. I picked, I picked the right one. All right. There you go. You get an A plus. You get an A there plus. You go. My, my, my thought process is, is, is secure. Um, the, let's talk about this team for a little bit. Um, the, the Diamondbacks have got a lot of criticism over the years with Larusa and Dave Stewart in charge. And obviously the, the Swanson for Shelby Miller trade was, uh, I'm going to be kind because you're an Arizona guy. Um, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but you look at this team. And, and I was, when I saw, as I said earlier to you, when, when I saw Colorado, and Arizona shoot to the top of the NL West 
and you know suddenly it looked like the the NLS looked like King Ghidorah with three heads with uh, uh, the Dodgers, Rockies, and, and Diamondbacks there. The Rockies struck me as a bit of a fluke, and we're starting to see, even though they still would be a wildcard team this year, um, they they seem like they're starting to come back to earth. But I, even then, I was like, I said, you know what? I, I have a lot more faith that this Diamondbacks team is for real. And so far, it really – Man, it looks that way. And from from my point of view, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I watch every Diamondbacks game and follow every Diamondbacks play, but, you know, (laughs) they seem to be fueled by Goldschmidt, who, in my opinion, is the MVP of the National League right now. But you also have great years out of Lamb, uh, a fine year out of Peralta. Um, I mean, how, how injured are Tomas and Pollock at this point? because they're both having good years, too, before they went down. Uh, A.J. Pollock's actually due to return to the team probably within uh, the next week. It's actually it's pretty incredible what the team did without him. I think it was back on yeah. May 15th uh, that Pollock went down. And for a lot of people, especially in Phoenix, it was like, okay, it was fun while it lasted. Now Pollock's down. This is what happened at the beginning of last year when the whole thing blew up. And yeah. I think a lot of people saw that coming again, that A.J. Pollock would go down and the team would go down with him. But the Diamondbacks, I, I believe this, I know this was true at one point. I'm not sure if it's true anymore. But at one point, not long ago, the D-backs had the best record in the game since A.J. Yeah. Pollock went down. And it, he's probably your second best center fielder in baseball. You've got Mike Trout is obviously your number one. Maybe Charlie Blackman's in there somewhere too, but AJ Pollock's about as good as they come. As I would put, I would put Pollock ahead of Blackman. I would put him ahead of him, but just from my from my point of view. Yeah, I mean he's he's yeah. an all star. I I probably would too. And and the Diamondbacks have done all of this without him, and now that he's about to jump back into the lineup, it's like, I mean, if this team is twenty games over five hundred right now, not even halfway through the year, what can they do once AJ Pollock comes back? Now, you know, in Philly baseball, I do a thing that I posted on MLBreports.com called Who Owns Baseball, where I determine who the MVP of each day is, and I do a little tally, and I see who, who earns it by the end of the year. And throughout this huh. year, I, keep, I kept doing a double take because I do pitchers and, and hitters, you know, best pitcher and best hitter on a winning team and a losing team, and I add it up. And I keep doing a double take going, am I, am I putting Robbie Ray in again? No, that can't be possible. <laughs> like, well, yeah, yeah, he had the best night. So, and I keep and you know, like Robbie Ray was one of those people who's like, is that the name of a of like a sub shop? Is that the name of like uh, you know, is that a, a singer from the late fifties? Or no, no, it's a pitcher who's having an all star <laughs> caliber season for a playoff team. And uh, mm. this the emergence of Robbie Ray uh, has to be one of the main stories of why. The, the Diamondbacks are playing the way they are. Robbie Ray is turned into, I know it's a ridiculous comp, but Robbie Ray is the closest thing to Randy Johnson that the D-backs have had since since he left. I think the, the strikeout numbers that he's able to put up, the fastball that he touches 97 miles an hour from the left side, which is an extremely rare thing to see even in today's game where a lot of pitchers are throwing hard. And and to be honest, Robbie Ray had five games this year where he was completely unhittable. 
you look at, let's see, it was May 20th through June 11th. If you combine all of the numbers from those starts, he gave up one earned run over five starts and had 48 strikeouts over yeah. five starts. I believe it. And, and, I believe it. I was That stretch was the most one of the most ridiculous performances over an extended period of time that we have seen in this in the city for a long time. I think Brandon Webb had the longest scoreless streak in in Diamondbacks franchise yeah, history. In, in 07. And, and, right, in 07. And Robbie Ray got extremely close to breaking that. I think he touched right around 30 innings of consecutive scoreless ball. And with the strikeout stuff that he has, now that he's become – hard to hit it used to be last year that you know opposing batters would still hit about 260 on him but it didn't burn him too much because he had so many strikeouts but this year he's got a 201 opposing batting average to go along with the best strikeout rate in the game outside of Chris Sale and Max Scherzer those are the only guys who have a better strikeout rate than Robbie Ray he's a he's a heck of a heck of a fun pitcher to watch the guy is is must-see TV whenever he's on the mound, given his strikeout stuff. And there's no doubt that, that what he's been able to do this season is probably the biggest or, or at least close to the biggest thing that's gone right for Arizona this season. Wow. All right, so look, at um, as it stands right now, the linebacks look like they're going to be playing in October, at least in a wild card situation. What is the – yeah, it's hard for me to get a handle of what a team – effect is on the city and on a and on a fan base when you're not there. You know, I mean, I, I spend my time between L.A. County and the Silicon Valley, so I've seen those areas when the teams are contending, and I've seen those areas when the teams are not contending. And I can, you can tell the difference, and you can, you can get that sense of, oh, I think maybe, maybe, and you start getting that excitement. Has that excitement come to to Phoenix yet? Or has this team just really just caught everyone off guard? I think Phoenix has always been a city that has taken a pretty long time to catch on. We were talking about that 2011 season before, and it really wasn't until late August when you really saw the fan base start to rally around that team. This year, it's been a little bit earlier. Now that the D-backs have jumped out to 20 games over 500. At this point, it's going to take a, a colossal collapse for them to possibly hop out of the playoff picture at this point. And I think you've seen that at the games, I know I talked about this last time I was on your show, Chase Field is typically a very dead environment to watch a baseball game. But lately, when I've been out at the park, these fans are into the game. It's louder than it's been in the past. They had a, a weekend series where they drew over 100,000 fans last weekend, which I know in, you know, in L.A. Is, is just a typical weekend of baseball, but here in Arizona, that's extremely rare. And I, I know they're expecting upwards of 45,000 at the game tomorrow with, with the post-game fireworks and, and it being kind of their 4th of July celebration and a big game against the Rockies. So I think we have seen the, the city of Phoenix rally around this team earlier than they usually do. And Arizona's always been that kind of city where you have to win. If you yeah. don't win, nobody really nobody cares. Arizona's uh, it's terrible here in the summer. Everyone knows it. It's a it's a hundred hundred degrees right now uh, at two twenty eight p.m. Usually it's even hotter than that. This is probably one of our cooler days we've had. 
this isn't a, a city where people hang around during the summer. They're going up north. They're going to, you know, they're going to California. They're going to the beach. They're trying to get out of town. And that's always been a big struggle for this city because the summer is not a time where where Phoenix is at peak population. Most people are trying to get out of town. And and this season, I think, has been different than anything that I've seen in my time really covering this team closely. The city has really rallied around this team, and it's been a lot of fun to watch, and it makes going to games that much more enjoyable. You know, a lot of Boston fans wish Tori Lavola was the manager of the Red Sox. He was he filled in as <laughs> interim manager when Farrell had his cancer treatment and did a fine job. And Farrell came back last year, and the Red Sox won the division. They're in first place now, but all is not well. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who – there's a lot of discontent. Uh, Farrell is, you know, not the greatest in-game strategy, and there's whispers about what he's like in the clubhouse. And then you look up, and Lobolo, who was filling in, you're like, well, why couldn't they – when he came back from his cancer treatment, they make him, like, vice president of Franks and Beans and Beans and Franks. Like, give him a nominal promotion. And Lobolo was the manager. And there were a lot of people in Boston who were saying that. And then when Lobolo takes over for Arizona and they go, all of a sudden they're a contending team. And he's all but, you know, if he's not going to win the manager of the year, he's certainly going to finish second or third. I know a lot of Boston fans are going, that should be our manager. You know, and, and that's, uh, mm. so what I'm saying is uh, you have our manager. <laughs> and not only that, but we have your your general manager, Mike Hazen, uh doing doing work in the front office right now. I think if I'm a Red Sox fan, which I, I know you are, I, I, I'd be pretty mad at the Diamondbacks right now. They took Mike Hazen, they took Tori Lovello, they took uh, even Emil Sade, who's done a good job in the front office. Yeah, I think they might have even taken some other guys from from the front office regime there that Mike Hazen took with him. The D-backs are in a better position right now. Than I, than I ever remember them being. As far as their management goes, I think everyone on the team has given Tori Lovello rave reviews. Even just watching post-game interviews with the guy, you can tell he's, he's laid back and he really knows how to communicate with players. He's a guy who wants to listen to his players. He's not, he's not a guy who's coming in there just trying to take charge and, and have everyone follow his lead. He, he's laid back, and he wants players to be comfortable, and he wants to give players the opportunity to do the best that they absolutely can on a day-in and day-out basis. And and I have not heard anyone, literally anyone, speak badly of, of any quality of Tori Lovello. Uh, even his lineups, occasionally he'll you know hit Chris Herman, who's hitting 200 this year. Occasionally he'll throw Chris Herman in the leadoff spot or, or some similar move that doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of us. And, and those players seem to go two for four with a homer and a double, you know, every single time he does that. Even even the lineups that he's made have had some magic, it seems, and he, he just seems to be pressing all the right buttons right now. All right, last question for you. Um, what is success this year for the Diamondbacks? I mean, obviously you want to win the World Series, and, you know, you, know, you, you want that, you love that. And, and But what would you be satisfied with? It's a good question. I think at this point, every every fan of the Diamondbacks is going to be disappointed if they're not in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I think for starters, I think you gotta you gotta finish what you've started here. There's 20 games over 500. They've got about a 10 game lead in the wild card race right now. You got to make the playoffs, 
And I think with how things look right now, the Diamondbacks are probably going to be the better playoff team or the better wild card team yeah. of the two. That that seems like the most likely scenario. So I think what, what Phoenix wants, what this city wants, is they want the Diamondbacks in the playoffs, and they want more than one game. They want right. more than one playoff game. They want to win that wild card game. As far as the division series, I, I think all of us would love to move into the NLCS, but I think right now where this team stands, given the very low expectations that we set for them at the beginning of the year, I think the Diamondbacks fans around here want them to make the playoffs and win their first game. I can see that. You know, and, I, and I was going to say probably you know, getting to the division series would probably be that. Uh, I would throw one thing in that would probably be like the icing on the cake. Obviously, you'd want to win the whole the whole damn thing, but I think the icing on the cake would be if you win the wild card game to eliminate one of the the um, to eliminate one of the uh, big spenders like the Nationals or the Dodgers. I mean, I think hmm. that would have to be one of them. I but, think even on top of that, another icing on the cake moment for them would be Paul Goldschmidt finally getting that MVP award. He's finished yeah. second twice, and the stars have very much aligned for Goldie to finally win the MVP this year. It's something the city has wanted for a long time. It's something that he really deserves, and I think that would be big for for this city. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right with that. Well, man, hey, look at um, uh, I would certainly not scoff at a Red Sox Diamondbacks World Series. <laughs> uh, it didn't happen in 07, um, but it could happen this year. Um, and I think that it would be the John Farrell versus Tori Lavolo showdown. Uh, mm, yep. Uh, I think advantage Arizona there. But uh, I think this is a so if you're if you just like baseball, you know you don't don't worry about the uniform. People get like, oh, who cares about the Diamondbacks? That would be bad for baseball or whatever. Forget the uniform. Just watch the game and watch the team. If you're a casual fan or you just want to watch good baseball, yeah, the Diamondbacks have, I think, the ugliest uniforms in baseball right now. But I actually <laughs> kind of find that to be charming, kind of like the horrible uniforms that the White Sox wore in the 80s or the or some of the, the dreadful stuff that was worn in the 70s that I now think is kind of beautiful. Um, I'm like, hey, look at the Arizona. They have that sort of gradient look on their hat and the, the sort of strange sort of the paint spray paint thing on the shoulders, which looks stupid, <laughs> and it looks like the uniforms from any given Sunday with Al Pacino and J.D. Fox. But it, you know, but I'm not like you don't look at that game and say, "Hey, I wonder what team that is." You know, they, they, they don't. They, they certainly look different. Um, and, yep. Uh, and they're you know they're a fun team to watch. You know, they're they play really good, exciting baseball. And if you get if you're not from Arizona and you're unfamiliar with the team and you're only interested in the Cubs or the Dodgers or the Yankees or whatever, watch some D backs. It's, it's the games. Lots of come from behind games. And and tell you, I didn't even get into this. Um, but like I was ready to DFA Fernando Rodney when he got off to his horrible <laughs> start, and I was like, come yep. on, this guy's out of gas. Get such anyone else in there. But, man, the last month he has been unhittable. He's been literally unhittable. He's actually, yeah. in his last 10 outings, his last 10 innings pitched out of the bullpen, he has not allowed a hit. He's thrown a kind of reliever's no-hitter. Yeah. It's, I mean, and if you had told me that after the first month when he was not doing piddly-poo, 
that he was going to have that kind of a stretch? That's unbelievable. So, hmm. man, I mean, look at Arizona. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they, they'll they be – obviously you can't pick the wild card game because one game, anything can happen in a while, in one single game. But, man, if they if you say here's a one-game playoff, we're going to hand the ball to, you know, either Robbie Ray or Zach Drinky. You know, good luck. Good luck with yeah. that. All right, man. Yep. Hey, this has been a pleasure. And uh, maybe we'll talk again in October and talk about our, uh, you know, talk about our respective teams. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Hey, good luck to you. Talk to you later. All right. See you, Sully. All right. Thanks, man. I, I got to go. I got to pick my wife up. So thanks, Jesse Friedman. And by the way, you will note he thought I picked the absolutely correct Diamondbacks team that should have won. And I'm I'm starting to, as I said at the end of the interview, I'm starting to warm up to those horrible, horrible uniforms they're wearing. Call me at the end of the month to see what I really think about it. But, you know, this is a fun Diamondbacks team. And it's exactly the kind of team that no one expects to win. And it's probably the kind of team that will win. Now, I'm going to try my best to keep knocking down some of these teams that should have won uh, as I move closer and closer to the relaunch of the podcast. And I'm also working very hard right now on the new In Memoriam video. So there's that going on too. Um, So I've done, the recent ones I've done have been including uh, the 1983 White Sox and the 1999 Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, let's not let's move out of the National League and pick an American League team. Let's go to the Cleveland Indians. Now, <clears throat> of the teams on my suffering index of all the current franchises, the Indians have the longest suffering baseball fans that you can have. You could make the argument that Washington does because they haven't won a World Series since 1924. They haven't had a pennant since 1933 with the Senators. That's too confusing, and actually one of the reasons why I am rooting for the Washington Nationals to win the World Series this year, to just quit putting these subtexts and footnotes on it. But, that being said, Cleveland, thank God, as I mentioned before, thank God the Cavaliers won that one series, because if Cleveland fans were going through last year's Game 7 World Series loss and the Cavaliers losing three straight NBA titles... I don't think Cleveland fans could handle it. Thank goodness they had that one win, that one win they could handle. That just shows you the difference between, you know, the, the having that and not having that. Yes, the World Series loss for Indian fans last year was crushing, and this year's NBA Finals, I'm sure, was a big gut punch. But it isn't a metaphysical crisis that would have happened if the Cavaliers did not win that title last summer in 2016. Now, the Indians, of course, have had a lot of, oh, I don't know, strife. They've had a lot of near misses. Now, think about this. Since the advent of the Division Series in 1995, the Indians have been one of the the real frequent participants in the postseason. They are also, there have been four World Series, four World Series, since the advent of the division series, where one team was you know, entered 
an inning with a chance to win the World Series, either with a 1-2-3 inning or with scoring a single run. And of those teams, four times a team has had that chance and lost. The four teams are the 1997 Cleveland Indians, who went to Game 7 of the World Series with a lead in the bottom of the ninth. The 2002 New York Yankees, who went to Game 7 of the World Series with a lead in the bottom of the ninth. The 2011 Texas Rangers, who went to the Game 6 with a 3-game to 2 lead, uh, the ninth inning and the 10th inning with a lead, with a chance to win the World Series. And last year, the 2016 Cleveland Indians, who went to the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the World Series, tied and had the winning run of the plate in the bottom of the 10th inning. You notice that twice since the creation of the Division Series, the Cleveland Indians have lost a game where if they won, they would have been the world champions. They also lost a deciding Game 5 in a Best of 5 series in 1999, a series where they were up two games to none. They lost a deciding game, they lost a deciding game in the 2001 Division Series. They had a chance to clinch at home, and then they lost on the road as well. They lost a Game 7 of the American League Championship Series to the Boston Red Sox in 2007, and they lost a wildcard game to Tampa Bay in 2013. Each one of those games, they had a chance to either advance or win it all with a win. And each one of those games, they lost. Each one of those years could have been the year that, first of all, Cleveland fans have been waiting their whole lives for, but also specifically Indian fans could have pointed to any one of those years. They could have also pointed to 1995, where they lost in Game 6 on a one-hitter, combined one-hitter, one nothing. They lost three games of the 1995 World Series by one run. They also lost a series where they're on the verge of going 2-2 and forcing a deciding game five when Roberto Almar hit an extra inning home run and basically put them away, a series that the Indians were heavily favored in. And also they were up two games to one on the mighty New York Yankees in 1998, the team that everyone was pointed to as the greatest team, blah, 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 blah. They were up 2-1. Two games to one at home against Orlando Hernandez El Duque, who at the time was an unproven postseason pitcher, and he got into trouble in the first inning. If they'd gone through in that rally, they would have been up 3-1 and had the greatest team that we've ever blah, 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 blah on their heels. As I've been one to frequently point out, the Cleveland Indians didn't even win the World Series in the Major League movies, which were fiction. They could have had aliens landed. They had a voodoo outfielder, for goodness sakes, but they didn't win the World Series because that would have been too unrealistic. <clears throat> this is a smorgasbord. That's a word I can't even say now. A smorgasbord? Smorgasbord. A mortgageboard. It's a lot. And to pick one is borderline insane. But remember, this is the team that should have won, not the team that had the biggest heartbreak. That team in 1997, tremendous heartbreak, but it was far from the best Indians team. And a lot of familiar names were not even on that team. Kenny Lofton spent that one year in Atlanta. There was a lot of players who had kind of cobbled together, showed up for that one year, like Marquise Grissom and Matt Williams. There was a lot of players you don't necessarily associate 
with the Cleveland Indians on that particular squad. So, even though if they had won the World Series, that would have been great, but we probably would have been an example of, yeah, it's great they won the World Series, but I wish it was this team or I wish it was that team. The team that came so close in 2007 was kind of a one-hit wonder. You know, that one year where you had Sabathia, you had, uh, was it Faso Cremona or Roberto Hernandez? We'll never know for sure. Because he turns out he was using a fake name. You had Grady Sizemore. You had um, Garco. You had Hafner. You had Peralta. You had a bunch of players who, Victor Martinez, who all came up with the Indians and had that one really good year. And if they had won, those would all be beloved names. But it's funny, because they only had that one year in the postseason, it was kind of strange to think if that was the team that came together kind of like a Venn diagram for one year, and then went their separate ways. I think one of the most aggravating things for Cleveland Indian fans about that 2007 season is they really needed one more starting pitcher in that season. And the seasons before, and in all the seasons since, Cliff Lee, who was on that team, was an ace, a Cy Young, either contender or the winner of a Cy Young. But he had a rotten 2007. In fact, wasn't even on the playoff roster in 2007. And they had to turn to Paul Bird or Westbrook or whomever. And if they had Cliff Lee pitching, that probably would have been worth one more win. Remember, they were up three games to one on the Red Sox at home with the Cy Young Award winner on the mound. And the Indians probably would have clobbered the Colorado Rockies. But I can't pick that one. I'm really, really close to picking last year's team, partly because it would have been the perfect way to have the Indians win their title and turn that year into a, you know, a year of champions in Cleveland, to have it be this overwhelming, the cup runneth over. We haven't won forever, and now we've won the, the NBA and the World Series. It would, have been, it would have been overwhelming. It would have been the greatest present to Cleveland fans in the world. And to do it on a stage where everyone was watching. Everyone was watching to see the Cubs win. And it would have been a great moment for Cleveland fans. Oh yeah, you came here to watch the Cubs. You came here to celebrate the Cubs. Well, guess what? We're going to win. We're going to celebrate. And you're going to be forced to watch us. And Cubs fans would be forced to watch like Alex in a clockwork orange with his eyes snapped open and the dude putting the little eye drops in so he, doesn't, so he has to keep facing it. And it would have been on a national stage. And you would have seen people say, who is Kipnis? Who is Kluber? Who is Andrew Miller? Say, who they are? They're the world champions. Not your Cubs. Who are a underdog-flavored product only because of their uniform. But they're big market, big money, big picking up big uh, free agents along the way. And we cobbled together a champion. That would have been an amazing moment. And you know what? I think I'm so close to picking it last year, to saying that's the team for all those reasons. But I'm not. I'm not. Because I'm picking 1995. I'm picking 1995 because I was there. I saw what a frenzy it was. I went to a game in Cleveland in 1993 in the old stadium. It was dead. It was empty seats. Apathy. Two years later, I'm at a game at the Jake. The stands are full. 
and the place is going bananas. They went on to sweep my beloved Red Sox, beat the Mariners in a thrilling six-game series, including beating Randy Johnson, and then finally getting to Game 6 of the World Series against Atlanta, where Tom Glavin was just a little too much. But remember, they beat Greg Maddox in Game 5 with the World Series on the line. They, they, they only, the three games in Atlanta were all one-run games. Maddox, Glavin, Glavin lost by one run in each one of those. And if that team had won, the reason I'm picking them is multifold. First of all, it would have been that storyline post-strike, trying to find out, oh, how is baseball going to come back? You had Ripken, and then you had the Indians, which people were tying, obviously, into Major League. But saying, look at this, a franchise that was dead from the neck up and the neck down. I guess that's all over. I guess that's just dead. Is has a full stadium with people going bananas. And for the first time in generations, something to cheer for. And Indians have got a taste of it with a, the strike pulled the rug out from under them, their first potential you know, playoff team in generations. Now they had a great stadium. Now they had a team that everyone could sink their teeth into. A diverse team where black, white, and Latin players were sprinkled all over the rosters in a way that was showing the Latin explosion in the game. And a lot of the players who, in your mind, when you think about the Indians' teams, a lot of players who were really not there as long as you think they were, were on that team. Eddie Murray was on that team. Carlos Baerga. That was the only playoff team that Carlos Baerga played on, on those Indian squads. He, was, he came back from the 1999 team. But that Indians team, had they won, had it all come together, would have been one of the great stories and would have propelled Cleveland as being a place of winners. And all those subsequent years that I rattled off would not have had the same hurt because you would have had that championship right at the top. And to look up and you see the veterans like Dennis Martinez, Oral Hershiser, Eddie Murray, even Dave Winfield made a cameo on that team. And then you would have had Vizquel and Tomei, Albert Bell, Kenny Lofton, Manny Ramirez, Sandy Alomar Jr., Tony Pena, Jose Mesa probably wouldn't be the lunatic that he became later. And you would have had a team full of great veterans like Ken Hill and Eric Plunk and all of them getting their rings. Alan Embry. And you would have had that perfect team at the perfect moment. The 95 Indians winning the World Series and putting together a string afterwards. We're like, who knows? Maybe they do win more. Maybe they don't. But it would have made the Indians taking the monkey off the back of not winning a championship in Cleveland all those years, finally having a team to root for. I think that's the team that should have won. So, anyway, let's play ball. We're in the middle of July. I think the Indians have a great chance of being a team that wins this year. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. And if you have a suggestion for a team that should have won, send it to me via Sully Baseball on Twitter or send it to me via email at info at SullyBaseball.com. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast, and I'm going to take my kids out for a walk. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.